0: I'm Jim Pullen. And I'm Joel Parker. This is KGNU's How on Earth, the show that makes you smarter. Today is Tuesday, May 28th, 2013. Coming up, although the governor is going to sign the
1: bill and farmers in Colorado are leaning into their plows, it's been a long time since a Colorado farmer harvested a commercial crop of industrial hemp. So joining us in the studio is a Canadian plant scientist, Jan Slaski, to talk about the modern practice of growing industrial hemp. We begin with a look at some of the recent news in science.
0: Last week, we brought you news about supernova and unnova. And this week, we have a story about dwarf nova. A supernova is a huge explosion of energy that results when a massive star runs out of fuel and collapses, often turning into a neutron star or a black hole. And for a short while, a supernova can be several billion times more luminous than the sun. An unnova is a theoretical scenario where a massive star ends its life in a catastrophic collapse, but without the visually bright explosion. A dwarf nova is quite different. It doesn't result from the death of a star, but rather involves two stars, a normal star and a white dwarf star, which is the remains of a core of a long, dead, old star. Our sun will eventually become a white dwarf star after a few billion more years. White dwarfs are very dense. They can be as massive as our sun, but can be as small as the earth. In a dwarf nova system, the white dwarf is basically ripping off the atmosphere of its companion star, but the flow of material is not very steady, and sometimes when the flow is not stable, it can lead to a sudden outburst that's called a dwarf nova. Well, the binary system called S.S. Cygni is a dwarf nova system and, in fact, is one of the systems that defines the class. But, ironically, it turns out not to be like the others in the class. The problem is that it seemed like the outbursts were too bright. In S.S. Cygni, the two stars are a white dwarf and a red dwarf that orbit each other in less than seven hours. And typically, once every couple months, the system experiences a dwarf-nova outburst. S.S. Cygni was discovered in 1886, and it is a popular object for amateur astronomers to observe because of its regular outbursts. In fact, according to the American Association of Variable Star Observers, not a single outburst of S.S. Cygni has been missed since its discovery, It has been observed nearly half a million times, and its brightness variations have been carefully tracked, making it one of the most intensely studied astronomical objects of the past century. Being so well observed made it a mystery why it was so different and so much brighter than other dwarf novae. Back in 1999 and 2004, measurements by the Hubble Space Telescope indicated the distance to SS Cygni was about 520 light-years. That's about 5 million billion kilometers. At that distance, the calculations indicated that the outbursts simply were too bright, much brighter than any dwarf nova should be. I guess that would make it a giant dwarf nova, perhaps. Now, using new measurements from several radio telescopes around the world, connected in such a way to behave like a single telescope, and with the help of nearly 200 amateur astronomers monitoring the brightness of the system so they could tell the professional astronomers when an outburst was happening so they could watch it with their radio telescopes, a new distance has been measured, only 370 light-years rather than 520. This shorter distance means that the outbursts aren't as intrinsically bright as previously assumed, and S.S. Cygni now fits in with all the other dwarf nova. The results of this study were published in the May 24th issue of the journal Science.
1: And now some quick birthday notes. Happy birthday to Frank Drake, namesake of Drake's equation that estimates the number of technological civilizations in the vast reaches of the Milky Way. Drake is 83. And happy birthday, too, to Stanley Prusiner, who discovered prions, proteins with no nucleic acids that are pathogens. Prusiner won the Nobel Prize for his work in 1997, and he's 71. In 1928, the first TV station, WGY-TV in Schenectady, New New York, Schenectady, excuse me, began broadcast. And let's celebrate their birthday by turning off our TVs, picking up a book, talking with our family and friends, and listening to KGNU. Today also marks the birthday of Jello, 116 years old, and the Sierra Club, 121 years old.
0: The Holy Grail in physics is something commonly referred to as the theory of everything. Back in February, we on How on Earth talked with Professor Brian Green about some of the contenders for such theories, including that our universe is one of many in a huge multiverse. No single theory has emerged victorious yet, particularly because it must do the very difficult work of merging two seemingly conflicting but successful theories—the theory of gravity, as in relativity, and the theory of quantum mechanics. Last week, a new contender for the theory of everything entered the field. A presentation at Oxford University by a mathematician claims to make the gravity-quantum connection and also explain other mysteries, such as dark matter, dark energy and the accelerating expansion of the universe, and the relationship between all the different kinds of subatomic particles. The speaker was Eric Weinstein, and yes, that rhymes with Einstein. Dr. Weinstein is a mathematician who got his Ph.D. from Harvard, but for the last couple decades has worked as an economist and investment consultant. Being not a current researcher in academia and not having yet published any papers on his theory would certainly raise suspicions from professional scientists. But the mathematical foundation of his theory has garnered some attention in the field. In addition to explaining what we currently have measured and observed in our universe and laboratories, the theory makes predictions about some things we haven't seen yet, such as new kinds of subatomic particles that we should be able to detect in the data of the Large Hadron Collider. Now, of course, to rise above the many, many previous claims of theories of everything, it will have to go through scrutiny not just from a lecture— but peer-reviewed papers and experimental evidence. But starting with a theory and predictions is a good start and certainly has generated interest. We will follow up in future editions of How on Earth as the scientific community assesses this new theory. And in June, we will have a special edition of How on Earth examining another and perhaps even more strange theory about our universe that was also discussed by Dr. Brian Greene that our universe is actually a simulation existing in another universe. All that and more coming up in future episodes of How on Earth.
1: You're tuned to How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show. I'm Jim Pullen. Today at noon in the state capitol, Governor Hickenlooper is going to sign a bill that will replant industrial hemp in Colorado. Colorado will join other states in the country, about 10 other states that allow planting. But it's been a long time when the Controlled Substance Act lumped the non-drug varieties of cannabis sativa with marijuana since growers in the U.S. could grow the versatile weed without DEA approval. The DEA has not issued any permits so far, but fortunately, Canadians came to their senses decades ago. To learn more about the Canadian experience, Dr. Jan Slavsky joins us by phone from Alberta. Jan is a senior researcher and an active program leader with Alberta Innovates Technology Futures. He obtained an MSc in agronomy from the War- Warsaw Agricultural University and Ph.D. from Poland's Plant Breeding Institute. He leads research aimed at the introduction and breeding of industrial hemp varieties, that suits the needs of the biocomposite and textile industries in Western Canada. In March, Jan was named a distinguished agrologist by the Alberta Institute of Agrologists for his outstanding contributions. Welcome to How on Earth, Jan. Welcome, Jim. Thank you so much for joining us today. Big day uh, for marijuana law here in the state. From a plant scientist perspective, what have we in the United States been missing in the past 70 or 20 years?
2: You've been missing industrial hemp, that's for sure, and you, you've been missing opportunities that are associated with this fascinating, confusing, and multi-purpose plant and crop.
1: Now, industrial hemp has a long, long history. It goes way, way back, prehist- long prehistory even, 25,000 uh, products with hemp in them, uh, $2 billion imported into the U.S., it's estimated, of hemp products, and uh, maybe $450 million of hemp industry in the United States, but we're not uh, getting the benefit of it, but but Canada has been. Um, what are the most critical areas that uh, we need to catch up on?
2: Uh, first of all, uh, you just let me show you uh, something that uh, we've been doing, successfully doing uh, here in Alberta at Alberta Innovates uh, Technology Futures. As you mentioned, Jim, we are a research and development organization, we collaborate with uh, academia, uh, industry, governments, and we take technologies from uh, pilot scale to commercial scale. And this is what you are missing. Uh, let me tell you what we have done. I've been working with industrial hemp for the last 11 or actually 12 years. Hemp was uh, uh, um, cultivation and processing of hemp in Canada was allowed... Uh, 15 years ago, or 16 years ago, in 1998. And you, uh, uh, Jim, uh, Jim, you alluded to the fact that uh, in North America, hemp was banned. Cultivation and production and possession of industrial hemp was banned in 1938 uh, um, as a result of in, in implementation of the uh, Opium and Narcotics Control uh, uh, Act. And in, in Alberta, we were, uh, in Canada, we were blessed by. Uh, uh, because this 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 act was lifted, as I said, in 1998, uh, and since then we made a great progress. So, so I will I will tell you two things: what uh, I think you have to do, and you have to uh, you are supposed to follow uh, our footsteps. So, uh, we uh, at Alberta Innovates Technology Futures, we are executing. Uh, or taking a holistic approach uh, to industrial hemp research. What I mean, our slogan is, and it's not only slogan, that's what we do, is from seed to final product. As I said, hemp is a very fascinating, confusing, and and multipurpose and tricky crop. So uh, uh, what I mean by by, um, fascinating, uh, it is, uh, and as you said, it's been around for 10,000 years. It was actually one of the oldest uh, plants that was domesticated by, uh, by, uh, by human beings. And uh, 10,000 years later, we are rediscovering uh, this, this crop. So uh, I mentioned the seed to final product approach. Uh, so we have uh, four research or activity domains uh, in our organization. We start with crop development. Uh, What we do, uh, uh, we study uh, hemp genetics and we are breeding hemp cultivars, industrial hemp cultivars that are uh, meant for given uh, soil and climatic region. So we are, I'm breeding hemp for uh, for Alberta, for uh, central and northern prairies. If you are thinking about hemp in Colorado, you have to uh, undertake similar actions in, in your area. So once we have a hemp cultivar that we know that is suitable in, uh, for cultivation in, uh, uh, in a given uh, um, jurisdiction or in, in ge- geographical re- uh, uh, region, then we have to know how to uh, grow it. So the second research domain that uh, I think that uh, your, your people will also have to follow is to develop Practices uh, of crop production. Why is so important? Why? Because hemp is not as any other crop that uh, farmers uh, uh, around the world are familiar with. Farmer, uh, producer has to know, before putting seed into the ground, into the earth, uh, has to know what he or she is growing hemp for. Why? Uh, because, as I said, hemp is a multipurpose crop, so it uh, produces grain and it produces two types of fiber. So ant use of, uh, of uh, um, this crop uh, or production uh, processes or technologies or approaches will, will, de- will determine what you are growing this, this uh, crop for. So this is, uh, I, I want to caution and, and uh, uh, slogan of your, of your show is make uh, uh, you smarter. And I want, to, uh, I want your people or farmers or whoever is going to be involved in hemp industry to get smarter and to realize that, uh, you know, just that you have to uh, or people involved in this industry have to know what they are growing hemp for. Once we, have, once we know what we have, once we know how to grow it, then uh, we have to process this, uh, this, this crop. And again, uh, as I said, hemp is a multipurpose crop, has two types of fiber, long and short fiber. And these two types of fiber have different uh, industrial applications and grain. And grain also has different applications, industrial and uh, um, food application, or um, can be utilized for different types of food and food food products. But to get to uh, to this, uh, hemp has to be processed. And I'm talking about uh, processing, uh, uh, stamp processing uh, is called decortication or fiber separation, and that's what we do uh, in here in Alber- uh, Vegreville, Alberta. We have a uh, uh, decortication or far- fiber separation uh, uh, facility, research facility, pilot plant, and also uh, before uh, um, getting into a food market or cosmetics market, hemp has to be uh, hemp grain has to be de dehulled processed. Okay, so this is third research domain processing and the f- uh, fourth domain research domain that we are executing here in Alberta at Alberta Innovate Technology Futures is incorporation of uh, what we got from from hemp every single bit of of this plant tissue is used for uh, can be used for commercial uses so we incorporate uh, in our case we are working primarily with fibers we are incorporating into industrial products like you mentioned biocomposites, uh, different types of biocomposites, including building materials, including uh, uh, auto parts, and, uh, for example, textiles, uh, geotextiles, uh, and and you name it. So, in a nutshell, what sh- uh, people who are entering or are uh, excited by uh, having opportunity of growing uh, and processing hemp, they have to keep in mind that hemp is uh, very tricky, very intriguing, gives potential. You uh, um, um, provided us with some some great numbers, but these numbers have to be uh, realized. So it means that, you know, just like a fascination and excitement is not enough to get to these numbers. And that's what we are aware of after 11 or 12 years of working with hemp
1: so there's there's got to be a huge infrastructure in place, a huge knowledge base, a huge infrastructure You know when it comes to the cultivars that our Colorado farmers need to plant, what help can they get uh from the, you know, the albertan experience
2: uh, see uh what what we did we start we started with uh, testing cultivars. That are available in other jurisdictions, and I'm speaking about, uh, you know, just primarily North American, but also, for example, European European uh, cultivars. What we did, uh, I brought 60 or 80 different genotypes from around the world and tested which one performs the best under, as I said, given soil and climatic conditions. And I know that, you know, just con- uh, soil or production uh, uh, conditions in Colorado will be different than, for example, in Alberta. But a, a pro- general approach is to start testing what you have. And then if you want to be re- really, really successful, because as I said, farmers can grow anything. They can put seeds in the ground, but it's not enough. And uh, uh, so they have to... Uh, they have to I, um, you have to have a, a breeding program, so it means that develop cultivars that will be a, that will be performing the best, so maximize yield. And again, you have to know what you are growing for. You are growing for fiber, what type of fiber? You are growing for grain. You have to uh, uh, develop cultivars growing in your area for optimal yield, quality, and minimize production costs. So, uh, so it's. Uh, It's not going to happen. Industrial hemp in Colorado in the States is not going to happen overnight. What I'm telling uh, and I'm trying to make your people smarter is that it's a process. Today is the first day of a long journey to have a a successful industrial hemp story in in the state.
1: You know, how are are you folks maybe working with some of our uh, universities, um, our government and industry uh, to uh, prepare for that future, um, do you have a plan, or are currently working, for example, with Colorado State University or the University of Colorado, or would you like to? I,
2: absolutely, you know, just uh, you know, I, uh, I, two or three years ago, I was invited to, uh, to uh, Vermont, to a University of Vermont, to give a um, hemp um, lecture. And was like uh, really well received I know that in in the states it's a great interest, so i 'm prepared uh, to uh, to offer my uh, or our services and our share our knowledge that we uh, again um, hands on knowledge that we uh, um, collected or gained over this this uh, um, 11 or 12 years of, of uh, working with, with industrial hemp, again, in different capacities, in different uh, research domains. This is quite often, you know, just, it's, it's, uh, it's not textbook. Uh, in, in many instances, it's not only textbooks or, or um, refereed paper knowledge. It is all these tricks that I'm, I'm talking about, about this, this fascinating and confusing plant. Uh, you have to learn from somebody who has hands-on experience. This is this is my experience, and that's how I also learn from from uh, uh, very many of uh, um, you know just, uh, researchers from around the world. Hands-on, uh, um, person-to-person uh, idea exchange and knowledge exchange. So I'm prepared to. Uh, uh, to collaborate if uh, such opportunity or request is extended by by your um, academic organizations.
1: Well, you know, we've got about a minute or so left here and such a fantastic topic and so much more to talk about. But how do Albertan farmers perceive uh, the entry of maybe some competition uh, from the it's United ver- States?
2: Absolutely. This is a really, really great question. We know that you guys are uh, are getting there. And um, we have uh, um, Pan-Canadian hemp organizations, Canadian Hemp Trade Alliance, and we developed our position, or just like a position ourselves. First, we perceived you as, a, as a, or Canadian, American uh, pharmacist competitors. No, we are not competitors. It will open a Canadian market. We can share our knowledge, and it will open the Canadian market uh, even more for, uh, for um, hemp different hemp products uh, to be marketed and provided to uh, American uh, ca- uh, clients and clientele.
1: Well, how so no you...
2: competition. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go ahead, no, sorry. No, that's
1: good. No, no, that's fine. And uh, in a word or so, how, uh, how can we uh, learn more? Where can we go on the internet, say, to learn more?
2: Uh, as I said, on the net you can get lots of uh, anecdotal information. I wouldn't uh, recommend uh, a net as a source of uh, information. Uh, you know, if you can put on the net whatever you want. Uh, I would suggest to uh, uh, to team up or to approach. Reputable uh, research organization, uh, organizations, and in Canada, because as I said, we are the uh, the most uh, Alberta Innovates uh, um, Technology Futures offers the most holistic approach in entire North America. Because as I said, we have four uh, research domain. So I would caution you against getting on the net because uh, I found and and you know many very many people whom I talked to uh, found uh, information that are misleading and mis- uh, misguiding. So I would suggest to. Uh, to approach uh, reputable uh, research organizations uh, or organizations dealing with hemp in Canada.
1: Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jan. And we have a lot more to learn about hemp and uh, and how Canada can help us uh, with lessons for Colorado. Thank you so much.
2: We are standing by. Thank you. Bye-bye.
0: that's all for this edition of How on Earth. Joel Parker
1: is our executive producer this quarter. The theme music was written and produced by Josh Cutler and additional music from Bob Hopkirk.
0: Can't listen to How on Earth at our regular time? No worries. Just go to howonearthradio.org and subscribe to our podcast using the iTunes button.
1: Questions or comments? Call the KGNU comment line at 303-447-9911. For How on Earth, the KGNU Science Show, I'm Jim Pullen.
0: And I'm Joel Parker.